Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 47, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today we're talking hunting beast style in Pennsylvania public lands with Mike Perry. So stay tuned. What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday to all of you. I hope everyone is feeling good in the Servid Obsessed community. Um, you're listening to episode number 47 of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Uh, let's talk about our partners here real quick. Uh, we are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest lasting, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you've ever used. Simply put, the toughest damn saw on earth. And right now, if you visit wickedtreegear.com and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout, you get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. And I actually had a buddy text me the other day and was just like, hey man, you know, I'm looking at some hand saws. Or, you know, how legit are these um, Wicked Tree Gear saws? And my response back was like, dude, if you buy the saw, you. Plan on not having to buy another one, and uh, and that is exactly what will happen um, if you purchase one of these saws. Uh, it'll be the last one you likely likely buy. Uh, but the bad news is is that you'll probably want to get all their other uh, pieces of gear, all the pull saws and stuff, because that is exactly what kind of happened to me. Uh, we are also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. Life's a passion. Pursue it. You've heard me talk about these guys. I go on and on about them all the time. Their kick-ass camera, their kick-ass customer support, their five-year warranty, their no-bullshit uh, theft policy. Um, so do yourself a favor and head over to their website and check them out. Uh, also, at this point, they now have launched a new uh, Exodus truck camera, uh, or Trek camera, not truck camera. Uh, and this is coming in underneath the $150 price point. So it's a very affordable camera. And talking to the boys at Exodus just yesterday, I believe they still have 100 cameras left on the pre-order where you can get a steal. Uh, by pre-ordering at uh, excessoutdoorgear.com. But have no fear. Once those 100 cameras are uh, are, are gone or uh, have been purchased, Truth from the Stand, we've got you covered here with a promo code TRUTH at checkout, and you save $20 on a purchase. So either pre-order it. If the 100 are gone, we got you covered with a promo code. Tecamani Seed. So make sure when you're planting seed this year, not in a biblical sense, but in a food plot sense, that you are using Tecamani seed, no matter if you're in the south, midwest, or north, 
East, Techamani has your food plot needs covered. Visit techamani.com and check out the product selector tool, and it'll help you pick the right seed for your food plots and for your property. Use promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. And last but not least, Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. I don't know if you've seen the the one that John and I were talking about, um, the ice bag, I believe it's called. Uh, the thing is huge. You can pretty much stuff an entire body in it. Not saying that you should, but if if you ever needed to dispose of one, you could probably do it with the ice bag. Uh, whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, or maybe just getting rid of a body, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. And of course, promo code TRUTH will save you some cash in the form of 20%. So we got a great show today. We're talking with Mike Perry from Pennsylvania. He's a guy that I've wanted to have on for a while. I've been looking for a dude that really kind of grinds it out on on PA public land, and this is my guy. So uh, he he hunts, you know, a lot of you guys I know out there are familiar with the hunting beast. Uh, He hunts beast style, super mobile. He's looking for buck beds, getting into nasty places, crossing a lot of water, hunting a lot of swampy areas. So I think he'll be right up uh, everyone's alley out there listening. I know that I took a lot from the conversations with Mike that, and he's just kind of a funny dude too, man. So I think you all enjoyed the conversation and we'll go ahead and get this party cranking. Without further ado, here's Mike. All right, we are live, and we are joined by Mike Perry. Mike Perry is from Pennsylvania, and if I'm remembering correctly, he's from the western side of the state. However, he is not a Steeler fan. If I'm remembering correctly, again, I think he's a Dolphins fan, but we'll try not to hold that against him during the uh, the hour that we'll spend <laughs> during the hour that we'll spend together Unfortunately, here. Unfortunately, yeah. What's that? Go ahead. I said, unfortunately, yes, I'm a Dolphins fan. Yeah, well, the same could be said for my Steelers right about right about now, since the uh, the showing that they had against the other one of the other Florida teams. Uh, but as I was mentioning, Mike's from uh, from from Pennsylvania, and, and uh, we we've I followed Mike on social media for a while now, and the way. Um, I guess this podcast kind of came about was, you know, we've, John and I've had guys on from, you know, the Midwest, you know, whether it's Wisconsin or, you know, places like Michigan and stuff like that, that are guys who are, you know, hardcore DIY public land hunters. And so, you know, being from Pennsylvania and knowing, you know, anyone who's hunted PA knows that it's, it's a tough hunt from a, you know, pressure standpoint. And, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not an easy hunt. So I was looking for someone from Pennsylvania that people held in high regard. And so I actually went on Dan Enfault's hunting beast forum and I just kind of put out the question. It was like, Hey, I'm looking for a guy that you guys think is a guy that I should talk to when it comes to getting it done on public land, hunting mature deer. And that has, you know, that has good success and is just a good dude. And overwhelmingly Mike Perry's name came back. So I got on I got on the old Facebooks on the interwebs and uh, looked up Mike Perry and he was gracious enough to come on. So before we get everything cranking, Mike, how are you doing, sir? Doing good. How about you? Not too bad, man. Uh, yeah. So it's a PA public land hunting. It's a it, it it's a grinder, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's heck of a challenge. There's 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 a lot of pressure and uh, but there's a lot of public land to hunt too, so it makes it nice. And there's a lot of big tracks, and that also helps out and get away from people. Yeah, for sure, man. So you know, before we get jumping into the the tactics and kind of your approach to how you dissect public land and how you go about hunting it, you know, just give me a little bit of background about yourself. You know, how you started hunting, what you do for a living, and, and where you live. Okay, well, I live in uh, Northwest Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm a supervisor, a load and dock supervisor for a newspaper. Uh, we're, we're the trucking that, that drives the paper. You know, we have a print site that's about 100 miles away. So every night we're driving to the print site with me and the drivers and 
bringing the paper back and forth and uh um <clears throat> what else was it oh the other part of it was uh just uh were you uh just the background how you got started hunting oh okay yeah um i started hunting my, my grandparents bought a farm in uh 69 i was four years old and uh we just started coming out here on the weekends I just fell in love with being out here and my grandpa started taking me hunting when i was a kid and we just did the small game thing and he got into bow hunting um you know, in like the early eighties and, and I was interested in that. I, I didn't really get into bow hunting until mid eighties, but that that's pretty much what lit the fire there was going out with my grandpa. My nice. uncles. <clears throat> yeah. It's very, it's a very familiar story. I think for a lot of folks from PA in terms of how they get started hunting, you know, um, hunting hunting in pennsylvania pennsylvania is a big heritage hunting state so it's the you typically are learning from one of your family members and it kind of runs in, in the blood i know for me you know one of the big things was whenever i got old enough to hunt you know it was uh you kind of became part of the club with the men of the family so to speak and you got mm-hmm. invited to hunting camp and stuff like that you know once you hit that certain age they would start to involve you in things and you just thought you were the cat's ass at that at that point was it kind of a similar thing for you Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, the first time I got to go, you know, just small game hunting with those guys, it was a huge deal. And then they wouldn't allow me to hunt deer even with a rifle until I was about 16, because as you know, living in PA, that it's, you know, like the largest armed militia in the United States on the first <laughs> yes, day of buck season here. It so, is. You know, they just, they're they just like, we, you, you, we'll wait until you're a little bit older. And, and that's when I started the the deer hunting part of it so right so speaking of deer hunting man how was your uh how was your 2017 season or you know here in the eastern part of the state we're still kind of going i don't know if ohio is wrapped up but how's your your year been this year so far that's been great and the, the best thing that came of it is my son shot his first deer which was a buck deer in archery and i, I kind of changed my whole outlook towards hunting this year and spent most of october hunting with my kids instead of out shooting does like I normally would or trying to get it close on a buck bed or something like that. So, and uh, I ended up shooting uh, a nice buck for around here in PA during gun shot him in his bed. And, uh, I, sh- I shot a couple does, you know, in Ohio and PA. So one with the bow and one with the gun. Nice. So yeah, uh, I was gonna... going real good. I had opportunities that I, I messed up on a really good buck in Ohio, but I don't really want to think about that right now. It's been haunting me every day since <laughs> November 3rd, but Nice. Yeah. It it yeah, happens. It's a good season. Yeah, it happens to the to the to the best of us, man. The uh I did as I was mentioning, I follow you on social media and I saw whenever your 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 boy got his uh um his his first bow kill, man. So tell me about taking him on that like, you know, I know when I was following along, he did a lot of the work, you know what I mean, as far as like he was part of the scouting trips and kind of preparing for the season and and stuff like that. Um, tell me how, how did you kind of help him or navigate him along or how much did you navigate him along? Like, I'm just interested, you know, I think us with young kids, you know, me, my daughter's nine and she shoots a bow and, you know, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to is getting her out. So how did you kind of help him along that path? Kind of walk us through that. Well, um, being my kids, they end up pretty much getting, getting involved in hunting because I, I mean, I've had them out since they were, I would carry them you know, the go check cameras and stuff nice. like that. So, you know, they've, they're pretty much, I think they just think it's normal, but, uh, you know, so they, they've been interested in it, both of them. Um, and I've been taking them checking cameras and, and on short scouting missions. I mean, on a lot of the public land that I hunt, um, and in Pennsylvania, it's, it's just, it's too much to get them back in there right now at the size they are. Cause I'm, I'm always wearing waders and crossing creeks and, and, and beaver dams and stuff like that. So, 
as far as on the, the public land in PA, uh, I don't, I don't get them back in too far, but, um, you know, I, I have permission for some private land around here too, that, um, I live in a rural area, farming area and for shooting does and stuff like that. So right. that's basically what I did was I just got those guys. We, we, we went out, we, I scouted mostly looking for apple orchards, acorns, stuff like that. We, we started looking early. We put, we set cameras and, uh, we set up some blinds and, in some good areas, you know, that had deer traffic. And that's pretty much how I spent the first three weeks of October is taking either both of them with me or one at a time, you know, it's easier with, they wouldn't both be hunting, but one would just observe, you know, and and that's what we did. Nice. That's awesome. So you were in a, you were doing the, the, the blind bit for for that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was in a blind and the, the, we've seen the buck. I seen we hadn't seen nothing and it was, you know, probably 10 minutes left of legal shooting light and, I looked over and I seen this buck coming and I said, Hunter, here comes the buck, get ready. And he's like, where? I'm like, don't worry, just look right out in front of the blind where the opening is and get ready. And <laughs> he came through and I, I grunted and, and stopped him. And I'm telling you, he didn't even hesitate. As soon as that deer stopped, he whacked him right through the, the goods. I mean, and he's, he's jumping around yelling, you know, I, I got him, I got him. And I'm just like, watch him, watch him, you know. And, and uh, he, the buck ran about 40 yards and stood there and looked around and did that backflip, you know. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, you know, it was, just, it was awesome. Right. That was the best day ever. That's awesome. And I think John or I would take one of those chip, chip shots out in front of the blind. How about it, John, for this year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's – um. I tell you, um, I think about that uh, that new blind there that we saw at the ATA show. Yeah. Um, with being able to see things, you know, approaching, and you got to wonder, like with a new hunter, um, would he get his cage rattled if he got to watch the deer walk all the way around the blind, or is it better that he just popped into the window? You know what I mean? And uh, there's not as much yeah, time think to think about it. it. I think in, the, in in our case, it's better that he couldn't see the deer until he was like ten yards away, getting ready to stop. So, right. but yeah, I was, yeah. I, hunting out of blinds is new for us. You know, I I never hunted out of blinds other than I took those guys for turkeys in the spring with a blind. You know, but uh, the kids, but you right. know, I, it's new to me. It's something that you got to get used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can say that. I don't. I, I've not done a whole lot of uh, blind hunting for for deer uh mostly in a stand but um you know i want to i want to get cracking here on some of the some of your experiences man because i I definitely want to dig into kind of how you approach things and uh and and, in your approach to public land overall but you know i know you mentioned you hunt ohio do you hunt so pennsylvania Mm -hmm. ohio any other states that you throw in there every every so often or those two not 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 anymore i I used to hunt ohio new york and pa for years and i dropped new york kind of when um i had my kids so yeah I figured it's too hard to juggle three states. You know, I'm never going to stop Ohio. So right, but uh, so yeah, so this Ohio and PA. Right. So have you always hunted predominantly public land? Because I know you mentioned you have a little bit of access, but is it something you've always done, or something you did as you got older? Or was it out of necessity when you were younger? Younger? What was kind of the I guess the 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 pushing toward hunting hunting public land? Um. Well, I got into hunting public land in Pennsylvania for the fact that it's just bigger tracts of land in the kind of areas that I want to hunt. I, I want to hunt swamps and marshes and the places with big creek systems going through them and beaver dams and just nasty stuff where a buck could live long enough to get big. And around my house, I know I have a lot of permission because we always goose hunt a nuisance season and the farmers, you know, love when you kill flying rats. Right. And, but you know, the, the, um, I just, you, you can't, 
you know, everybody, if they give somebody permission, they're going to give other people permission. The tracks around here are smaller, 100 acres or whatever. And, you know, the deer may not be bedding or using the property that you have permission for. So that's why I got into the public is this, everything's right there. You know, you've got a big piece of public and you have total access to whatever you need to use to try to kill the deer. So yeah, that's basically why I got into it. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Because I've I've heard you know, just from a couple of the other you know guys who are hardcore you know public land hunters. I, I I've heard a similar theme where their goal is to, you know, have as much opportunity to move to implement their strategy fully, rather than being limited mm-hmm. by property lines, which you are on on private ground. You know, I ran into that this year yeah. where it's like I knew where a buck was living. I knew it was on the neighbors. I knew there was a pinch point that he was going to funnel through you know, on the way from bed to food or from food to bed. And I saw him, you know, you know, the one set I had for him. Um, but if I were able to hunt across the property line, I probably could have had a better opportunity to kill him. I would imagine, um, you know, and so that's kind of the limitation of, 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 uh, of private ground. Um, and you're right. You know, a lot of these nastier places do exist on, on, on public. So talk to me a little bit, you know, you mentioned Crick systems there, beaver dams. Like, so what are you looking for on a piece of public ground specifically like is there is there something that you specifically kind of seek out you know is there elevation that you're looking for you mentioned some water i mean what are those types of things that really catch your eye well around here it's it's kind of a little bit rolling hills but the elevation in the public land pieces that i'm hunting is there's not you know it's more or less flatland stuff you know sort of like uh, areas of ohio that i hunt in northeast ohio so it's not really big terrain features. It's more or less I'm looking for swamps and, and creeks. Um, I, most of my best setups are on a bend in a creek mm-hmm. or where there's an oxbow lake, which you guys know what that is, right? Ox, an oxbow, where an old oxbow in the creek used to be, and then it fills in and then it creates like a dead water, half moon type thing. Right. And then I try to find places like that that funnel deer through because you use that with the creek or a beaver dam or something like that. And, it creates funnels, and if you've got bedding on either side of the funnels, you know, it's, it's going to be a hot spot for the rut, usually. So right. you get fine stuff like that way back in there where there's nobody at, and, you know, that, that definitely ups your odds. Right. And so you just mentioned where there's nobody at, and I think that that's kind of the the key there, right? Because everyone has access to it, and so it's all about trying to get away from, from the crowd. So, you know, with that kind of – with that in mind – you know, one of the most challenging things of hunting the public land is just trying to avoid the crowds and pressure alone. I think that if you just do that successfully, like you're kind of, you're, you're winning to a degree. Um, so what, you know, what's your approach, like other than, you know, you mentioned going, you know, in kind of deeper into some nasty stuff, but what's your approach of trying to, trying to avoid pressure? Is it all about the distance that you're traveling? Or are you looking for certain types of sign and stuff like that to tell you where the kind of, I guess where the barrier is that people aren't going to cross in terms of, of distance. So how, how do you avoid the, yeah. the pressure? Waiters, waiters. Yes, waiters and hip waiters. <laughs> that, that's honest to God. I mean, I don't know why guys are afraid of water, but I'm just glad they're afraid of water because <laughs> it, it doesn't have to, I, I shot a really good buck in PA. Uh, I can't remember what year it was and not, not that long ago. Um, and it was, I was not far from the road at all, mm. but there was a, a marsh right there. And, and there was a parking area. In fact, I wanted to park in the parking area, but there was a bunch of cars parked there early in the morning. And I first time I hunted it, I, I just parked on the road and walked all the way down and went in. And everybody was all hunting up on the top where the fields were and everything. And but so it doesn't have to be far away. But most of my spots are long walks, one point something miles. And and what it is is just water. I'm I'm wearing waders to get across creeks and to get back in 
to more remote areas. And although I will run into somebody every now and then, um, for the most part, you know, those are the areas that no one's in, other than maybe a duck hunter finds his way back there or something. Right, and usually right. if you're... So that's what I'm looking for. Right, and if, usually if you're in there and you see a guy in there, right, he's has the same mentality as you do probably or similar, so he's probably hunting mm-hmm. it right. You know what I mean? Like he's probably hunting. Yeah, and I, I, he's got good access. Yeah, I've run across that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you. usually those guys are decent, and you can. And you, in fact, I, 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 the one piece of public that I hunt, there's, there's two guys that that I run into back in there, um, quite a ways. It's like a 1.8 mile walk, and you know they're not they're not pounding it. They're not hunting it all the time. The one guy's actually from Texas, and he only comes up and hunts for a week. So like that week, even though it's during the first week of November, I don't go back in there that week because the guy only hunts one week out of the year in PA. I know he right. grew up around here. It's like he, he lets me know he's coming, and I'm just like, well, have fun. This is what I got pictures of. This is what I've seen. You know, I, I have no problem with it. Right. And the other guy, he, you know, same thing. We keep in contact, so you know, they're they're decent, decent, decent folks. It works out good. Nice. Yeah. I, it, it's a. Uh... It's nice to hear that kind of um, story because I think we hear a lot of the opposite <laughs> often enough where, you know, f- folks, you know, sitting in trees next to each other. I saw uh, something on Facebook the one day where a guy climbed a tree and there was a guy sitting right across from him, like in the tree right next to him and like wouldn't move because oh my goodness. he was there first. <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous. But Well, trust me, I've, I've had horror stories too. I have one particular property that I hunt that – there's a guy that's been hunting in there for years and years, and I go out of my way to stay out of this guy's way, but he's still just, you know, he, 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 he anybody that comes in here, he's messing with them. You know, he'll go as far as walking around you during, if you're in there during gun season, he doesn't carry a gun. He just walks around and tries to spook stuff from you. I mean, he's, he's pretty bad with it. He takes people's equipment and, and, and throws it in the creek. And, oh, jeez. So, yeah, there are bad eggs out there that I've had to deal with, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, but sure. it's always nice if you're if you're good to other people, they're going to be good to you. Right. One of the one of the things I like to do too is you know obviously put a little distance. The water thing, I've not yet had the. Well, there was one spot I scouted that I wanted to hunt this past year. I just didn't make it there to hunt this year that I had to cross some water, which was honestly why I liked it. Um, but the other thing I'll look for too is I'll just kind of look for the sign from the previous year and just see if there's any human sign. Is, did anyone leave a stand somewhere or did, was there, did someone leave trash mm-hmm. somewhere or whatever? And if I start seeing stuff like that, then I know that's a place I'm just going to avoid. You know, if, if there's a, yeah, when you start seeing tacks and stands and stuff like that, then you know that there's someone, you know, in there. Yeah. Or someone, you know, left a, some type of, you know, scrape dripper or something like that in a tree. It's like, you know, that's, that, that's a yeah. place someone's going to come back to. So I'll usually try to avoid those types of places, but um, you know, so, so speaking of kind of, you know, your approach to water and stuff like that, and you kind of talked about the, the oxbow and the water and you like to hunt, you know, sit a bend, um, or near a bend, um, in a crick system, but, you know, do you have a, a go-to tactic that you found that has given you the, you know, the ability to have consistent, you know, to consistently, you know, hunt or harvest mature bucks on public land? Like, is there, if there's, is there one thing that you kind of like every year you're like, eh, this is kind of my go-to. It's like, if nothing else, I know I can do this and I'm going to have a pretty good pretty good odds well yeah basically my go-to tactic would be to hunt a funnel in 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 the best case scenario is i either have a beaver dam on one side of me which say the wind's blowing from the dam towards me and a creek at my back and you know on a a bend in a creek and and a funnel like that it doesn't have to be 20 yard wide funnel it's obvious that everybody can see on the map it could be 100 yards wide and there's a blowdown 
you right. know, or there's just the trails are all forcing the deer to come through. But I like sitting funnels and I don't, and I sit all day and I don't go in there until late October, or early November. So my tactic basically is staying out, keeping the human scent out of there. I try to always approach my stand through water or crossing water right before my stand. So I don't walk on any of the deer trails that I'm hunting. And I think that makes a big difference. I mean, I've, I've worn chest waders and, and waded through a beaver dam because I, the only way I would have been able to not step on tracks was to start a couple hundred, three, four hundred yards away, and I'd wade right down the edge of a beaver dam all the way until I get to where there's a beaver levee where the deer are crossing and a creek, and it's a nice funnel right there, and I, I shot a nice one in 2014 doing that. And just try not to leave any ground scent and, you know, pick, pick my, my, my spot and my, my times to go in the right time. Hmm. Not not pound it early early season, you know, and and get everything tipped off. That's what's going on in there, you know, all the deer. Right. So you're are you? Is it fair to say you're hunting? As the season goes, you'll get a little bit more aggressive. Like, so what's it take for you to get aggressive on a hunt? Like, exactly. You know, are you is October? Are you just kind of, uh, you know, nipping at the edges type of thing before you dive in, or is is there a reason you would ever dive in during an er, an early season hunt? Like, what's that kind of you know. I guess, how do you play that through mentally, you know, when you're deciding how to, how aggressive to well, be or not? It, it, for uh, Up until this season, I, I told you about taking the kids in October. So, you know, this year was different, but in the past and for years now, I've always spent October basically hunting my does, getting some deer for the freezer. I got into the, uh, the hunting beast three or four years ago and started following their tactics, and I'm trying – to implement some of that stuff. Although this year I, I, I wasn't able to as much because I was taking the kids out in the early season and getting close to the buck bedding. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything I've always done is revolved around bedding, buck and doe bedding mm-hmm. since the eighties, you know, but I started reading articles about that. But as far as getting aggressive, it just depends on the situation and my access. If I got a, a solid access where say I can walk down a feeder Creek and not walk down any trails and get to a stand and get up in there and have a, a good win and say that we got a high pressure and, and my milkweed's floating high all day long and nothing knows that I'm there and I'm seeing deer moving and, but I'm just not the buck I want. I might go back there the next day as long as everything's right. And I might, I might hunt the same, the same spot for, you know, four days in, in a two week period. If I think that that's the place I need to be to kill one, it just depends on if you have the approach be able to get there or not right i would never do that if i had to walk you know down deer trails and had deer blowing at me on the way in and the way out right so that's it's... why i like to approach my stands from the other side of a crick because the deer that i'm bothering on the side that i'm walking in on usually aren't the deer that i'm seeing anyway the deer are lazy they they want to they want to stay on on the side of the crick that they're on i see very few places where they're crossing during during daylight you know so that's, and maybe I'm maybe I'm messing them up a little bit, but on the other side of the creek. But I'm only going to worry about the ones that I that I want to come through the funnel that I'm on. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there's uh, you know it's interesting. There's a lot of guys that I've talked to, and they said, well, you know, I I went to this you know this tree stand set. Every all the sign looks right. All my scouting told me that this is where I need to be. But I sat there all day and I didn't see anything. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and tear that set down and move. And I'm like, no, no, don't, <laughs> don't move. Like if your gut and all the signs there, and just because that yeah. big buck didn't walk past there that day, there's a chance that you didn't disturb anything. So the element of surprise is still there for the day that he does decide to come through there. That just might not be his everyday route. 
Um, yeah. So that's that's an interesting thing. How you know that you pointed that out? Yeah, I hunt mobile on public always. So I'm either in the lone wolf climber or or I have the um, the stand and sticks. And so you know, it, it's it's not like I'm running to a same a same exact tree all the time. And besides that, I just I just don't think that you know if you do put it this way. I'm getting my Stuff's twisted around here. If you do, you do all your scouting in in the preseason. You know, most of I do most of my scouting in you know in in, uh, in uh, March and April. You know, so I already know that I'm in the right spot. You know, so to give up on it after hunting it one time after you know putting in all the time that you know you got to be positive that you're in the right place. And if you have a good approach, it's worth hunting it again. And that buck I killed in Ohio in 2016. It was the fourth time I hunted that spot in 10 days, but. I, every time I could get in there undetected, they didn't know I was there. I was, I saw them three out of the four days. I had finally had to make an adjustment and move a little bit closer, ended up shooting them. So, you know, if, if to say that, and, and we're talking within a couple, you know, maybe five acre area that I hunted in, in those four days, you know, so I, I and I didn't bother them at all. And the day I killed them, there was, there was three Pope and Youngs chasing a doe around in there. Nice. So, yeah. I mean, I think one thing that guys do is they definitely, Two two different things happen, I think, and I think I've been I know for sure I've been guilty of of both of them, um, and I'm trying to get better at it. it one is you know uh, paralysis by analysis, where you just you have so much information that you're not able to distill down a, a plan, you know, or to like a single point of like you know nugget of information, right? Which is one, and then the other one is is that you know you have your information and then you you second guess yourself constantly and um, you know don't go with your gut. And I've learned that you know. The more often, whenever I've gone with my gut, I've I've seen what I've was supposed to see or what I thought I was going to see, and just to trust your trust your scouting. You know, like you said, you put all that time and all that effort in. Your eyes don't deceive you. You know what I mean? Like you saw what you saw yeah. for a reason. Um, doesn't mean necessarily that the yeah. buck you think that is living there is necessarily going to always come by. But I think you know we should be a little bit more trusting in our in our abilities. And I'm curious to ask this question actually. Because I think this comes, I was going to ask this a little bit later, but, you know, I know, you know, your approach, at least from following you a little bit, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit more of an old school approach. I think, you know, it's at least yeah. to my experience, like a lot of the guys who follow the, the hunting beast kind of method that hunt mobile hunting buck beds and stuff like that, like that philosophy are more relying on woodsmanship than they are any type of technology and stuff like that. And it seems to me that like, that's kind of, kind of your approach. Is it, is that, am I kind of picking up on that correctly? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up having to do. And in order to learn how to hunt, you know, you learn from your mistakes that you make and you learn from the deer what's going on. And, you know, you have to know. I mean, I started out measuring every buck bed. I didn't start out, but after reading an article back in like the mid 80s in North American Whitetail about, you know, how do you, I'm trying to figure out how to find big buck beds. So how do I find big bucks? Well, you got to, you know, know there's one there, you know, so you got to find big tracks. So I started measuring buck tracks, deer tracks in general, everything. Walking around, scouting in the wintertime. I, I, I did it for, you know, a couple decades, you know, just measuring. I Finally, now I just know by looking at them, you know, after a while. Right. I finally learned my lesson. But, but, you know, and it's stuff like that. Looking for tracks, looking for sign, just using, you know, common sense is all it is, deer hunt, you know. I mean, and, and uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything against technology. I mean, I love my, I have my Scout Look app on my phone and my mm-hmm. Onyx maps. And I'm looking at aerial photos, you know, and I'm marking 
all my sign and all that makes it great. You know, I remember back in the mid early nineties that thinking to myself, if I actually knew where I was standing when I'm looking at this topo map, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, <laughs> and now I can watch myself walk around, you know what I mean? Right. And, uh, I use trail cameras. I run probably 30 cameras, but I'm, I have them spread out over many properties between Ohio and Pennsylvania. And I love using the historical data off of the cameras. And I've been doing that for years, and basically how I ended up, part of the reason why I killed that buck in Ohio in 2016 also was I had his pictures of him going through that area in daylight in, in, in within the 6th and the 12th of November, and he never, ever walked around in daylight. So I said to myself, I'm going to hunt this spot as much as I can get away with it, you know, in that time frame. And, you know, and... I've had that work in, like, the buck I mentioned in PA that I shot um, where I had to wade through the, the swamp. I ran a camera on that the year before. Usually I'll run a camera before I ever hunted on a new spot. Mm-hmm. It might be the same piece of public I've been hunting for a long time, but it's just a new area, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's another part of the section that I haven't been in. And and I'll run a camera or two in there and let them just sit there all year long. Now they call it soaking. I just let, I just called it letting them sit. But, right. you know, that's... That's what I, I started doing that years ago, kind of by accident. Just I couldn't get to all my cameras before gun season one year, and I just left some cameras out. And I was like, wow, look at all the stuff I learned, you right. know, because my camera was out through the whole of O season, and I wasn't in there. Right. And there was no pictures of guys, and the cameras weren't stolen. So yeah. they were still there. So, right. you know. <laughs> it's funny. Spot. It's funny how, uh, you know, everything ends up getting a name. It's like like you were saying, like back in the day, we just called <laughs> called it letting our cameras out. And then, you know, you were mentioning <laughs> hunting mobile, you know, back in the day, we just called that hunting mobile. Now we call everyone it's, it's running gun. Like it's, it's like, it's something new, but yeah. guys have been doing it for, uh, for a while, you know, um, you know, yeah. it's just kind of the way things go. John and I were being crotchety old men before, before the call about, uh, you know, millennials and those millennials you know, <laughs> and they're in their interwebs. <laughs> um, but, uh, there's, there, there's some good things that come with age, right? I think uh, knowledge comes with age and, you know, and I, and I know for me, you know, I'm, as the years go, I use my technology differently. You know, it's not that I don't use mm-hmm. it anymore. It's it's kind of uh, the same way you're talking about. You know, I I, I use you know a, a, a map app. You know, which is really nice to kind of let me know where I'm at and can mark things so I can get back to the same places later and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I use of course I use trail cameras and, and this year, the past two years were the first two years that I really started using historical data more so than recent data. Um, and so I really mm-hmm. don't even look at my cameras all that much during the actual season. Really. It's, it's more, mm-hmm. I do a pool, you know, right, uh, right before the season starts usually, uh, at least on the private pieces. And, uh, and yeah. then I, I kind of make my game plan on what I had seen from the year prior, what I'm really kind of looking for during that given season is, is the one I want to hunt still alive. Number one, number two, is he coming, is he on the property when I think he should be on the property? It is, or his pattern staying the same. So if he's never there during the summer, but he's always there in November, I don't want to see him in the summer. <laughs> you know what it means? But if I all exactly. of a sudden start seeing him in the summer, then that tells me something's changing. So is my historical pattern still going to be accurate? I don't know. I have to kind of wait and see. But I started using it in the mm-hmm. same way. It's 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 interesting that you me- mentioned you know measuring, um, you know uh, tracks and, and buck beds because you know m- my buddy Greg Litzinger is the same way and that's kind of how he does a lot of his scouting. Is he'll cut a track and kind of measure. So I'm always curious, man. Do you have like a size that you look at that says you know if if there is a track that is so many inches, like that's a big buck, like that's like your starting point. And if I would a bed, say as far as 
Yep, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, and Sorry, with, the, yeah. with the bed, the same thing. Like, is there a certain size you're looking for with a bed? Like, if it measures so far, you know, long, it's going to, that's what I would consider a mature deer. Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Are you still using one of those flimsy plastic hand saws? A girly man saw? If you are, then I suggest you head over to wickedtreegear.com and replace it with one of the toughest saws on earth. Use promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20% on your purchase and also receive free ground shipping. And now back to the show. Well, what I measure on a, on a, as far as a bed goes, from the tip of where their elbow is, and we get a ton. Of, I mean, we live off of Lake Erie here. It, it, we get a lot of snow. So I've gotten a chance to measure a lot of beds over the years pretty accurately. Right. I mean, I don't measure them anymore, but I would always go by 44 to 52 inches from the tip of the elbow to the round of the rump on a, on a buck. Hmm. Anywhere in that area, it's going to be a, a, a mature deer. Now, um, as far as the track goes, I'd say like three fingers, like, you know, three inches mm-hmm. uh, um, wide on the, just a regular step down, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. the deer stepping in two and three quarters to three inches. Is, and, and, you know, some deer have smaller feet, some deer have bigger feet. You know, I'm not saying it's a, it's a, it's a total tell-all, but when you put things together mm-hmm. and, you know, you find, a, you find a bed that's in the, say it's in the late you know, um, postseason and there's a rub and there's a bed there and there's big tracks. It's pretty safe to say that that's a, a buck bedding area if it's in the right spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so uh, they don't just – they don't – go ahead. No, I was going to say, so kind of talking about buck bedding because I'm really interested – I'm always interested to hear guys' perspective on, on hunting buck beds and stuff. You know, what's okay. a, what's your tell, like, whenever you're looking for an area that's going to be good for a buck bedding? I mean, I know, you know, just, you know, hypothetically or not hypothetically, but theoretically – you know, if I'm looking for buck bedding, it's like I'm looking for, you know, how's how what's an area that he can avoid any type of social pressure? You know, what's an area that he can avoid just pressure in general? Um, you know, is there an elevation change? Is there some type of knob somewhere where he can kind of have the wind to his back while he can see down? That way he can, you know, kind of smell anything coming or see anything coming. Like those kind of fundamental things like I, I get. But is there anything that you kind of look at or look for like a certain type of is there, you know, a certain cluster of rubs, you know, within a certain area? Or are you looking for to kind of say, okay, this is definitely someone's someone's bedroom. I'm in I'm in somebody's bedroom. Well, you know, I, there's, there's they could they, they could have rubs, they could not have rubs. It's, it's it's really hard to say. I'm just usually looking on a transition line, you know, especially since I hunt a lot of like beaver dams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll have a real thick area usually coming into a more open wooded type area and something like that, you know, a lot of the times. And usually they're laying right in there and, and, and we're to, to the point where not so far in that they can't see out into the open. A lot of times I think that they're, they're, they're in there with bedding with the, you know, wind blowing over top of their back and they can see what's in front of them. And they do that, you know, even on the edges of fields and stuff like that, you know, they'll, they'll bed like that. But, you know, it's just going to be a thick area. Not always going to have rubs in it. Not always going to have a rub line coming out of it. Mm-hmm. But if if it does, I mean, it definitely is going to help you. Mm-hmm. But when 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 I you know I a lot of the spots I hunt, I've been hunting for years. So, so if I'm going into a new place, I'm going to go in and I'm just going to start walking all the transition areas along the creek, along the oxbows, down along the swamp. Look for points going out in jetting out into the beaver dam stuff like that that's usually where you're going to find the beds hmm. you know the bucks and the does is both right so sticking with the the bedding theme here i'm, I'm interested in this mm-hmm. answer too because 
you know, I picked this up from, you know, two things, I guess I picked up from Dan and but I'm curious how you're, what you, how you approach this. Do you hunt when you're going to hunt a buck better, are you setting up for him to come back to bed or are you predominantly going to set up for when he's leaving bed? Well, I'm no expert on hunting buck beds like those guys on, on, on the hunting beast are. In fact, like I said, I mostly am a rut hunter. You know, I don't, in the early season, I don't really, you know, I just got into that the last few years. Mm-hmm. But when I do, when I have set up on, on buck beds that I've found scouting in the springtime, it's always for an evening hunt. I don't, I, I don't, I've never sat in the morning. I, I don't like sitting mornings in October. Mm-hmm. And, um, I hunt, you know, I'm mainly uh, take my vacation during the rut, sit all day long in a, a good spot type. You know, that's, that's basically my, my deal, what I do. I mean, I worry more about doe bedding than buck bedding, to be honest with you. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I, want, I want to find all the, every bed I can. Right. You know, I want to know where the deer are bedding because I don't think you have really a heck of a chance on public land if you're not close to bedding. So I'm looking for an apple trees or acorns that are close to the beds as possible, and I'm going to hunt them in the evening and hoping that they're coming to, to that spot to feed, you know, while there's still enough light to shoot when I'm on the public land. Right. Yeah. I mean, what I picked up from, from those guys is, is pretty much exactly what you were saying, which is, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of morning hunts, of course, um, unless there's, unless there's someone that, you know, you can get on in the morning before it gets back to bed. The other reason being was that, you know, I think it was Dan that I was talking to that was mentioning that, you know, when, a, when you, when you're looking at a buck bed and you're scouting a buck bed and you find one, you're going to see two, you're going to see two trails. You're going to see a really predominant trail that kind of goes straight into the buck bed. And you're going to see probably another trail that kind of like is not delivering straight into, into the bed. And essentially that, that trail that's leaving or that is coming directly from the buck bed in a straight line is their exit. Whenever they're approaching their, yeah. their bed, they're going to J hook around and which makes it really tough to hunt it because they're going to actually check that spot before they get in. Whenever they go to leave the bed, they're just, they're leaving. They're not, they know what's yeah, in Yeah, I front totally of them. agree with that. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think that they're worried about which way the wind's blowing when they leave the bed. I think that, that they're, when they're coming in to bed down, that's when they're worried about, you know, scenting that area. They want to scent check before they lay down. And once they're, once they're laying there, they're laying there for a reason. So they got the mm-hmm. wind their advantage of one direction and they're, and they're looking the other direction. And when they're ready to come out of there, I think they're just coming out of there, whether it's a crosswind, tailwind, nosewind, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're, they're going to where they're, where they're planning on going. And, right. you know, from what those guys say is too, is, you know, that, that hunt that just specifically are always setting up on beds, like, like a Dan Infold or, or, you know, one of those other guys that are on the B site all the time. They're, yeah, they're definitely setting up, as close as they can because the, the bucks aren't moving real far right. in that period of time. Like I say, they might go 60 yards in 20 minutes or a half hour or whatever. Right. Trying to so, break that. that com- I'm that- more or less at the, at the first food past that is what I've been doing. Okay. When yeah. I do hunt in the yeah. evening over a buck bed, the first, and I'm talking like, I'm not talking food, like a field. I mean, I'm talking an apple tree, you know, choke cherries, um, yep. you know, beech nut, whatever. Right. Something in, something in close. Some type of acorn flat or anything that's in between him and wherever mm-hmm. he's plan, planning to go. John, what do you think about the exactly. whole buck, buck bedding thing, man? It's, uh, what, what, what have, uh, what have your eyes told you in the, uh, in the past years? <clears throat> um, what my eyes have told me believe, um, none of what I see and half of what I hear about <laughs> buck beds. No, um, <laughs> I tell you, man, it's, uh, no, I mean, it is interesting. Like, um, 
up until the last couple of years, I was 100% convinced that everything I did was on the basis that the buck does not move unless the wind is in his face. Um, and that's the direction he's going. And there might be a little bit of an angle, um, you know, getting a little bit of crosswind scent checking. Um, but I tell you, since I moved to Iowa and hunting a lot of these ag fields and field edges and these huge, huge crop fields, what I've come to the conclusion of is almost what Mike was saying to a T. When they're coming to bed, I think the wind is very important. But when they're leaving their bed and they're headed to a food source or a water source, I probably saw 70% of my bucks walking with the wind blowing in their back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's almost like whatever direction the wind was blowing, that was the direction they were walking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Um, you know, I haven't put all the pieces together because, you know, every property is a little different. And, you know, what we think the wind's doing, who knows what it was doing 100 yards further. And, and maybe that was in his uh, in his danger zone. Mm-hmm. You know, he left his safe spot just to cross that field. And then he got back into his other safe spot or the wind cone that he needed. Um, the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. It is very interesting. I don't think, I don't think that we can interview enough people about betting, uh, <laughs> because Mike already taught me something new already. Right. You know, just having hearing his perspective and and how he kind of reads that and puts that into his, uh, you know, in in his you know plan to uh, assault. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. It's it, it's you know it's always interesting to hear how different guys are hunting things in in different areas and and what the, and what they're seeing and what they're experiencing cuz i used to kind of fall under the same thing john where i kind of always assumed that they're always going to travel with the wind in their face and then i started seeing things that were telling me that that's not 100% true and you know what really changed you know i think my perspective on especially how i set my stands up is it was when I've, i i had heard of it but when i started really understanding about how to cut the wind or how to cut the angle on the wind like once i started figuring out that and being more mindful of it as i was setting up my location that was whenever i really started seeing a lot more more deer movement so i guess that would lead me to another question mike you know whenever you're setting up a stand when you're pinpointing a stand location or a tree like how are you how are uh-huh. you using the wind are you you know it's a good i guess kind of question it's like are you looking to cut the wind are you well, Go ahead. Uh, well, it, it it depends on the the stand site. I mean, I, I have stands that are in some smaller funnels that are only uh, twenty five yards wide. And even though I have people tell, I hear it on podcasts and that you know mature bucks won't walk through those. Um, that's not what I've been seeing. I, I'm on one stand, particular stand like that. I shot uh, two bucks in, in the one thirties, which for around here is a good buck mm-hmm. out of the same stand. So, you know, but what, what, uh, and the reason why I like to use water is just for that, that reason right there alone is if you're on a bend in a creek, you got so many different trees that you can get in for the wind. So if you want to keep the mm-hmm. wind off of you, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not really worried. The worst case scenario is if I think that a buck's going to come down a funnel say from the west and the wind's blowing out of the east straight down through there then yeah of course i don't want to be up in there 
Now, if there's a high-pressure system, it changes the whole deal because it, it, when there's a high-pressure system and it's sunny out and cold, it seems like your thermals are rising more, so you don't have to worry so much about the wind. I mean, I, sometimes I'll hunt with the wind blowing right across the trail. Right. You know, it just depends on if my milkweed's staying 20 feet up, I'm not moving. I'm going to stay right there. I like to get up against creeks because it seems like the wind where there's a, where there's a creek will sort of follow that creek down if you have it coming at you at the right angle. You know what I mean, and it, and it'll it'll it, you can watch your your milkweed float out through there. I think it has something to do with the thermals in the water. Mm-hmm. Same with beaver dams. You know, I set up like last year when I killed that buck in Ohio. I was set up off the edge of a beaver dam, and you know that water was sitting here with it was even though it was cold out, it was sunny all day. It was high pressure, and I'm dropping milkweed, and it's hitting that water where that water was laying about forty yards behind me, and it was just shooting straight up and going. You know, there's. <laughs> That, that buck that I killed came straight downwind. Hmm. I didn't have no ozonics. I didn't have, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, any, anything other than just, you know, trying to keep my odor down. He never knew I was there. And he came through the swamp, you know, right. so he, he couldn't smell me. So that, that swamp thermal, that water will heat up and, and, the, and the air rises and then it pulls more air. And then you, so you're, if you're set up towards the water, it's going to pull your scent that direction, right. especially if the wind's already going that way in the first place and it's going to pull it and it's going to stay high right. so yeah and to your point so like stuff like that you just learn from trial and error dropping milkweeds and seeing what goes on yeah and then to your point it's like you, like you said you like to cross water so that's almost a natural barrier for your two for you too because you're not so concerned mm-hmm. what's happening on the other side necessarily so now everything's kind of working in your to, to, to your advantage there so I'm curious, man. Like we we talked, you know, about you know, some of the su- successes that you've had on public public ground, and you and you've taken some nice deer on public ground, and and I'm just curious, you know, what you know, every everyone has, a, you know, I guess a different experience or different feelings toward hunting public ground. Some guys are good at it and seem to be able to get it done. Some guys really really struggle with it and and just enjoy the grind, so they continue going back for punishment. That would probably be more of, of, of the me, of me um but uh i'm, I'm curious <laughs> to, yeah yeah it's I've, I've managed to have some success but you know it's gotten the better of me more more often than not um but i'm just curious man what what is it that you think that you do or your approach that allows you to have you know success in in instances where others might might find struggles well for one i'm i'm, I'm persistent and 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 um you know just dedicated. So I, I spend a lot of time scouting and I'm not, uh, I, I'm not, um, afraid to go wherever I need to go to get, to get to what I, my goal is, you know? And the other thing is I, I look for certain setups. So a lot of my stands on public land on the three different pieces that I hunt in PA are all kind of similar in the way they are, you know, uh, because, because of the situation, how they're set up. So I'm, I'm setting up in something that I've found works for me. Well, I'll be, you know, mostly in funnel areas, but, you know, it works for the wind. It works for the approach to get there. The deer don't know I'm there. You know, I have, I, I always, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be doe bedding nearby and the bucks are going to cruise through there. And if you sit there all day long, which is another thing that I think makes me successful on the public land is I'm going I'm to sit there all day long. I'm going to go the extra mile. And that's basically that simple. I mean, there's no magic pill. I mean, it's just sense and grind it out and you know try to hunt the right time and you know just be confident that you're in the right spot right yeah i, I definitely i'll drink to that that's uh it's one of the things there's <laughs> there's, there's no uh 
there's no, uh, I guess, replacement for what I like to call stubbornness. You know, it's the one time that my stubbornness actually works in my favor. It's like I climb into a tree and I'm like, I'm not moving all day. You know what I mean? There's now I will say there was a time this year I was in Ohio hunting public ground and I probably would have been, I probably would have been wiser to move my stand because I was just, I wasn't, I had a feeling I needed to be in another spot. It was one of those instances, like I was talking about earlier, I just wasn't trusting my gut. I had a feeling that I needed to be in another spot. I was stubborn because I was like, no, I just need to stick it out, stick it out in this spot. And, uh, I, and I wasn't rewarded. So that was an instance, but you know, it's, you know, hindsight's 2020. It's I like, wouldn't let that bother you, buddy. I got, you know, how many times I've sat in a stand on and not seen anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, that's just, the, that's just part of the deal. You know, you, that's the first thing that everybody needs to be able to accept that you're going to fail. Way more than you're going to succeed when you're bow hunting. Right, yeah. And once you can get past that, and once you can not worry about other people and what they do and what they shoot, I mean, I'm a way happier hunter when I quit worrying about what they killed, deer and gun, on the next property, this, that, the other thing. It All it does is drive you nuts. Yeah. You know, I'm only going to kill the deer that is in front of me when I'm there to kill it. Right. And that is all you can do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly, man. That was my approach this year. You know, we actually did a, John and I did a podcast on it where it was just, I had a target buck. I saw him on my first set of opening, opening Saturday of Pennsylvania season or first statewide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was just, he was just within bow range, but behind some stuff, you know, behind some junk and I couldn't get a shot at him. And, uh, he was with another deer that was right underneath my stand and he didn't win me. He just got uncomfortable. Like he, he, I think he knew what something was up. He just couldn't pinpoint what it was. So they didn't blow out of there. He just backed up and walked off. And then the deer that I was hunting walked off too. And that was the third time I'd seen him in four sits going back to last late season. And, uh, that deer was driving me crazy cause I was watching the weather and I was, you know, that property's three hours from where I live and I had to, you know, quite a drive. So I was watching the weather for the weekends to try to yep. find the right weekend to go back in and go after him. And the weekends just weren't lining up and it was driving me crazy. And so I just, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm going out to my buddy's property out here on the Eastern part of the state. And he's got a small little three acre parcel. His family does it, butts up to some private or to some public. It's like, I'm going to go hunt that transition between the public and the, and his, his parents' property. And I was like, and if I see a deer that makes me want to pull the trigger, I was like, I'm going to, you know, release an arrow. And I went out there, nice mm-hmm. PA, you know, rack PA eight and uh, shot it and was super happy. You know what I mean? And it was just, and it yeah. was actually, there felt like there was a relief, you know, the, or weight that was lifted, which was, which was nice. And so everything you just said rings true, man. It's like, you just got to hunt for yourself, you know, whatever's going to make you happy. Exactly. You can't get caught up in the heat, the, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses and stuff like that. Cause it's just, you're going to drive yourself crazy doing it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're from PA, you got to remember that what, 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 what the possibilities are around here too. It's not like you're in, you know, one of these big buck Midwestern states. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, well, you got you know, I think it's important to kind of, you know, know that you have to set your expectations, you know, correctly for where you're at. You know, it's, you know, for here, you know, for, if you're in the Eastern part of the state, you know, it, it, it's different than it would be in the Western part of the state, just like it'd be different if you were exactly. in Illinois or whatever. Um, you know, you have to set the expectations for what's possible for where, where you hunt, you know, and, and, and that's, uh, you know, so I think, you know, hunt, trying to hunt something mature or trying to try new tactics or something like that. It was one way to kind of continue to kind of push the envelope a little bit is, you know, do things that are going to stimulate you, you know what I mean? Not necessarily, you know, what size mm-hmm. is the deer, but like, how am I going to get better? Um, and how can I, you know, continue to challenge myself, I think is a good way to look at it, but you know, before yeah. you know, I know we're we're running up one, getting close to an hour here, and I have a couple more questions I want to toss your your way. And I'm curious about your okay. approach to scouting. 
um, you know, I want to get a okay. sense of the things you like to focus on. I know you already mentioned that, you know, you like to really kind of, it sounded like you like to focus on the spring in terms of like when you do the majority of your scouting. Um, but let's set the scenario that, you know, we're going to say John and I are going to take you to a new piece of public land that's, uh, you know, just wherever in Pennsylvania, eastern part of the state, let's say, that's move you away from Pittsburgh. And you've never been there before and you're walking in for the first time. You're going to try to diagnose where you want to set up or what you think a good opportunity is. Like, what's your first step in doing that? Well, I'm going to be looking at aerial photos of the place and I'm going to be look uh, at the photos. I'm going to look for places that are, you know, not right behind parking lots, you know, that mm-hmm. aren't easy to access. Hopefully somewhere where I can get to by crossing a creek or two or Beaver Dam or something, I'm going to be looking for a place where I can get away from other guys because that's where the deer are going to be moving at. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, I, 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 w- I wouldn't hunt the property if, I wasn't, if it wasn't going to be swampy and full of creeks and beaver dams and stuff, so we're going to assume that's what it's like. Right. I'd go in there and I would just walk up and down all the creeks, the oxbows. I'd, I'd be looking for bedding you know, on, on the beaver dams. Um, a lot of times those beaver dams will have goldenrod, in, intermix with them and uh, dogwood and red brush and stuff like that. Uh, all that transition lines there is where I'm going to be walking, right. looking for any bowls in those areas or points. Um, that's where the bedding's going to be. And then I'm going to start looking for the, the nearest food to where those beds are at. And if I can get uh, on a funnel somewhere, on, uh, you know, in, in that area where there's does bed in that, and hopefully uh, there's sign of bucks coming through rubs and scrapes from the previous years. You just kind of, you know, you got to blend it all in together and come up with a plan. I'm going to run a camera there before I'd ever even hunt it. So the first year, it'd be a camera sitting in a couple good spots, maybe right in some bedding or on a funnel, and we're going to find out right away how many guys are in there because the camera's still there when the season's over, mm-hmm. and no one was in there because pretty much they're stolen on public land if anybody sees them. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, that's basically how I go about it. All right, so so you're looking at aerials, like so when you dive into like a topo map, right? Because I know that's one thing you were mentioning using the Onyx Onyx maps and being able to kind of see exactly where you're standing. Yep. Like so, whenever you so say you've done your aerial scouting, you've kind of picked out some you know some spots that are near near water that you want to investigate or whatever. Is there anything that you're going to mm-hmm. look for in a topo versus just an aerial image of the of the of the space? Is there any type of like you know benches or a saddle that you're going to look for or, or just minute elevation change? or anything like that you're going to kind of try to pinpoint yeah uh, um you know like i said a, a, around the area i'm used to scouting and hunting is more or less flat so there's not a lot of uh, terrain features or might be some you know 10 or 15 foot elevation changes and and yeah any kind of subtle elevation change is going to help any kind of low spot mm-hmm. the deer are going to usually move so yeah if I, I on the topo that's what i'd be looking for you know little little spurs or little you know high, high points that are coming you know into a swamp or you know something like that but yeah basically um it, it's pretty it's pretty much flat in the areas that i'm hunting so right. there's not a whole lot to look for in that so the only difference that the that that the top was going to tell me other, that um an aerial photo wouldn't would be like i say little little points coming out with you know which are going to have trees on anyway they're pretty easy to pretty easy to see mm-hmm. from you know either from from the aerial photo in the first place so right okay so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, as far as, you know, the, you know, maps go or whatever, like with it being as, as flat as it is, it's, you know, you're really looking for more habitat change and like maybe lines of exactly. hab- breaks. transition yep. of, of from one habitat to another. Transition whether it's, line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From, 
you know, whether it's from a clear cut into a swamp or, you know, hardwood into a swamp, whatever it is, like you're looking for that definitive line that they might want to mm-hmm. travel. Um, so I know you mentioned a couple of different times the barometric pressure, you know, having high pressure. Um, so I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, you know, you mentioned, you know, watching your milkweed fly high or whatever, stay high whenever you're having a good high pressure day and stuff like that. Yep. Um, are you also paying attention to barometric pressure to kind of time when you're going to go hunt? Or are you looking for that just for clearly how you're going to play the play the wind? Or does it more play into like your overall hunting strategy, like from a, I guess, a longer term view? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to hunt the days I'm going to be able to hunt no matter what the barometric pressure is, but for the late season, like I'm still hunting in Ohio right now. I've, I've been, I've been getting out of Sunday was the last time I was able to get out and uh, I'm going to try to get out again this weekend. And, and yeah, if there, when there's a high pressure, you know, like today would have been the day to get mm-hmm. there, but when there's, yeah, the, the deer are going to get up and, 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 and speed seems like more or less to me in late season. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, um, I'm not sure if I'd see that correlation with that during the rut because during the rut, you know, just anything can happen anytime. And I'm spending my vacation during the rut. So basically, you know, and if you're asking, do I see more deer when there's, when there's high pressure, I, I can't really tell you that that's the case. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, but, but it, it does definitely help the hunting. I, I, I'd rather hunt a high pressure than anything, but right. you know, it. It's not always possible, so right now I hear, go with what you got. I hear that it's the uh, it's the it's the uh, the grind of the uh, of the full time fully employed uh, hunter trying to f- pick those days. Yeah, exactly. I feel your pain. What's the uh, how about the moon, man? Do you follow the moon at all? Is there anything that you kind of parlay yeah. or add or kind of attribute to the moon? No, you know, I mean, I tr- I've tried to believe in the moon i mean it's almost like i wanted it to be true but <laughs> you know i just don't i just don't see it i mean I, I i might be wrong but i just don't see it i mean i was followed for a while i was reading that uh, charlie alzheimer's uh theory on you know it triggering the rut second equinox second full moon after this fall equinox and i just wasn't i wasn't seeing that and and uh this red moon stuff. I mean, I, I talk, I got all my friends are great hunters. They killed big bucks and, and they're all grinded out and, and they know what they're doing. Everybody around here is way better hunters than me around here. A lot of guys. And, 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 you know, they do the same thing. And I, no one's telling me that you need to be out today because it's a red moon. I mean, in fact, the opposite, the during this past year, the, the day that it was supposed to be the great day, nothing happened around here. Now I it may, it may have went wild somewhere else, but in this area, it wasn't right. It wasn't the, the best day of the year to be hunting. Right. So my by, experience, by with, any means, my experience with the moon was, was this. It's kind of funny because the first time I decided I was going to follow the moon, like it was like two, two maybe three seasons ago, I was like, you know what, I'm going to follow the moon. So I got you know the the moon dial thing, and I was checking it out, and I was following which days were going to be good red moon days and so forth. And the first day I went out was supposed to be a really good moon. It was early season. Um, I went out and I was in my stand. It was a brand new spot, piece of political land I'd never hunted before. <clears throat> I actually never scouted it before. Mm-hmm. Either went in early and just kind of did a speed scout and found a tree and climbed it. And wouldn't you know, about ten minutes because they always say it's like ten minutes on either side of the moon is like when you're gonna, you know. So if the red, if the moon's supposed to be at three p.m. or something like that, then it's you know two fifty ish. It should be when things start to pick up. And wouldn't you know, just about ten minutes, maybe a little bit less than before, like the exact red moon time was stated. I saw three nice shooter bucks, like, <laughs> like clockwork. No and, I, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, this moon thing works. I was like, so 
I tried to follow up the rest of the season and I didn't see anything like it did. Like, so I had my hopes way up like at first and I'm not saying like some guys it might work. You know, I think it also depends on the type of property you have, you know, cause I know if you listen to anything from the Drury's and stuff like that, I know that they follow the moon pretty, pretty religiously, but they also were on a, you mm-hmm. know, they, they manage that property for that. And so things, so yeah. I think things like that might, might work. I'm not saying that they, that they don't work. If you have the opportunity to kind of control things a little bit, um, I'm sure some of these things might might play out, you know, as you would expect. But I think whenever you're hunting is, you know, public ground and areas that are getting pressured and stuff like that, there's so many other environmental things that are going on um, outside of the, the moon and barometer, you know, that, I, you know, I think the barometer personally, I think that it, that it does help kind of like you said, it's like, I won't wait for a, a good, a good barometric pressure day to go hunt. If I have a day, I'm going to hunt, but I don't mind when there's a high pressure day on the day that I'm going to go hunt. <laughs> we'll put it that way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. John, I'm curious, man. What do you, uh, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. What's your, what's your moon philosophy? I don't, I don't know that I've ever asked you that. I've got a Ouija board that we can break <laughs> out and predict the <laughs> patterns with. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm like what you were saying. I've, I've had some situations where, you know, my buddy texts me and he's like, um, he's like, Hey, according to the moon guide, um, you know, we're going to have movement at a field edge today at 5:26 PM. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm on a field edge, but, um, you know, that's not why I chose this spot. And I'd be damned if at 526, a buck comes walking down the field edge, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, wait a second. If I hunt 70 days a year, there's going to be a couple of days where they hit the nail on the head. You know what I mean? Um, so my biggest buck this year that I was chasing, uh, he, he ended up going 173, uh, as a four-year-old, um, which is kind of crazy. I thought he was five, but turns out he, we believe he's believe he was believe he was four. Of course we have no birth certificate, but just kind of going off a body. I don't think they were going to send in the jaw. A shotgun hunter killed him, but at six twenty six PM, uh, red moon said that he would be transitioning from bedding to food. Um, and I got a trail camera picture of him and when that trail camera picture was taken, I was at full draw on him and just needed him to turn broadside to give me a 30 yard chip shot. And, and he didn't, and he, he never did turn. So, uh, he walked away, but you know, that was an instance, uh, that was on October 26. Um, the moon guide nailed that one to, uh, to the minute. Hmm. Um, man, I tell you, it's, uh, you know, where does it stop? You know, yeah. let's look at the barometric pressure. Let's look at the wind direction. Let's look at the moon um let's look at the food oh yeah there could have been a coyote that chased him an hour before that which completely derailed his time schedule mm-hmm. um there's so many factors that come into it um i'm not a big big believer yeah. <laughs> in summary <laughs> i'm not a big believer in the moon guide in, in i would s- rather flip quarters <laughs> <laughs> the problem with these moon theories is they always seem to come with, uh, you know, uh, some kind of cost to be able to find out when the good days are. And a lot of times, a lot of times, you got to follow the money on what's behind things. You know, not not accusing anybody of trying to make a buck, but you know, it right. seems to be, right. you know, part of the deal too. So, yeah. and it's the yeah. way the industry goes with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I kind of like the Ouija board. Do you, do you guys um, do you like uh, fortune cookies? They're fun, right? You know what I mean? You buy yeah. a fortune cookie, the cookies taste pretty decent and and you get a funny little fortune at the end. Yeah. Um 
you know, that's kind of the, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to discredit anything with the moon because I know that there is some science behind it. Um, but my money is riding on wind direction and, you know, my food plots. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, I think f- for me, it's, uh, I'll take the fortune cookie. And, and see what that gives me. It's like, you can have my fortune. I just want the cookie. Right. Exactly. It's a, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm going with. You know, look, whoever folks like to follow it and they, and they, you know, it, it, I'm all for, you know, different strokes for different folks, man. If someone believes in it and they're having success and they think that that's why they're having success, then far be it for me to tell them that they're wrong. Um, you know, rock, rock it out. Um, you know, for me, John, it was just kind of something you were alluding to. It's like you start putting all these different things together and it's like at some point it's just like it becomes too much. You know what I mean? It's like just my his- my historical data on my camera told me X. I Maybe I did some, you know, maybe I had the the property that I was going to hunt. Maybe I had the, the fortune of being able to do some, you know, uh, do some scouting from a distance, some glassing, you know what I mean? And maybe I saw what I needed to see there. And then maybe, you know, as I'm creeping up on the rut, maybe I'm seeing the scrapes I need to see in the places I need to see them, the rubs I need to see where I need to see those. And like, to me, that tells me enough of what I need to know. It's like, I don't need to, I don't need to know much else beyond that for me to make a, make a decision. And I think I, I feel better that way. Cause I start to drive myself crazy with the more, more data input that I get. It's like, I start to having that paralysis by analysis where it's, um, I try to just take the bare minimum information and, and go with the gut and uh, roll the dice. You know, it's what they call it hunting and not catching or watching. That's right. You know, <laughs> but Hey man, we've kept yep. you here for, for nearly an hour, man. And I want to be sensitive to your, uh, to your time. I know your boys were shooting you up with a Nerf gun before we got on the phone here. They might want to take <laughs> a couple more cracks at dad before bed. So we want to make sure they get those in. But before we let you get going, yeah. man, if you wouldn't mind, I always like to kind of close with our buddies that come on and talk with us with a with a hunting story. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, give us a, a memorable hunt that you've been on, you know, let us know what state you're in, what time of year you're hunting, you know, give us every detail from the truck back to the tailgate. And this could be a successful harvest or a near miss or, you know, anything in between. It's up to you. Okay. Yeah, well, since I already talked about my, my sons earlier, which was, you know, one of the best moments ever, uh, I'll go with a buck I shot last year in Ohio in 2016. It was a buck I'd been after for three years. And um, I, um, like I mentioned earlier, used some historical data and where I decided to set up on him. And uh, I had seen him a couple times in the, the first week of November between, uh, I think it was the 5th was the first day I, I went in there. I just stayed out of there the whole year. When I went in and I saw him on the 7th and the 9th. And then the uh, 14th was the day that I killed him. And I had I noticed that he had went past. I almost killed him on the 9th. He, 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 was, he was with a doe, and I, and I, and I um, snort-wheezed him, and he came up. And that one, you know that one limb that's always in the way? Yeah. Well, that, that was in the way, so I, I, did, I couldn't shoot. I, was, I had to wait the draw, and well, that didn't work out. Well, he, when, he, when he got out of there, he knew something was up, but he didn't know what it was. He heard me draw my bow back is what it was, and he, he looked around. It was real windy that day, and he went past this cherry tree that he had went past on the 7th. So I was like, I got I to gotta, I gotta hunt that the next time I get in here. So that day I, I, get, uh, I get there. It was in about 1 in the afternoon because I had to work the, the previous night, and I had to work that night because I worked third shift. So I wanted to get a hunt in. <clears throat> and when I walked down in there, I was able to access the this area through a feeder crit that I could walk down through 
So my boots weren't really touching the leaves until I got right down by my stand. And uh, right when I walked in there to get into the feeder creek, I jumped some deer. I, I didn't see what they were. I just I knew one of them was a doe, but I wasn't sure exactly what they were. Well, I got down. I got my stand. About three o'clock, three thirty, somewhere in that area, I, this doe starts snorting to the north, and the wind was blowing out of the southwest. And like I said earlier, it was it was staying high up above that beaver dam. <clears throat> so I knew she would, she didn't smell me. And then I could hear footsteps, and here comes this buck that I called the intruder buck. He, he was a, a big eight point, like a one forty. And he's coming on the trail. Just believe it or not, the trail that I had hunted the last time, he came right down it. And uh, so I, I watched him go by, and it looked like he was going to maybe come my way. And once he got down, even with me, he's about 40 yards out. I, I grunted to him a couple times, which I usually I don't usually like to call to deer unless they're walking away from me. I don't blind call or anything. So he started walking towards that doe. That doe was to the north. He came from the south. And she's, she was snorting at him. Now, a lot of times guys think that because a deer's snorting that the that, that, that jig is up. And that isn't all. They snorted each other, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, well, anyway, so he, he started going towards her. And it was getting, you know, later and later. I, I called to him a few times. I even got the rattle bag out and, and rattled a few times. And I could hear a deer walking out in front of me to the south. But lo- b- below the trail that that eight plant had come in, I could hear a deer walking down the leaves and it was right on a transition so there's patches of real thick stuff that they bed in and uh and i could hear a deer walking through the swamp through the cattails to the direct direct southwest of me and that's where i suspected that buck had been bedding um the buck i shot i called him super freak i was after him for three years he had two big drop times although he broke one of them off after velvet but um so he he come uh he was, which I didn't know at the time, but he was coming right from the southwest through the through the cattails. So, out in front of me to the south, I hear this other deer walking, and it turns out it's it's a doe. And she's walking right down the transition straight at me, and I could hear a buck grunting behind her. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, freaking deer all over the place all of a sudden, <laughs> you know. And uh, she comes walking down by me, and I could see the buck. He was probably about maybe 60 yards behind her. Meanwhile, the the first buck that I that I called intruder, I, I can't see him. I can hear him walking around. I know he's messing around with the doe that was to my north, and this other doe is coming down to kind of I guess join the party or whatever. She's coming down the transition straight at me, and I can hear this buck grunting behind her. And then right when she gets almost even with me, I can see him, and it was another like a 125, 130-inch eight that's been there for a few years, but he just doesn't get any bigger. Hmm. And and I call him intimidator, but anyway, so I see him and I'm like, that's it. that's him, you know. That they're they're both out now. Where's the super freak at, you know? Right. And I could hear this deer walking behind me, and she went into the cattails, right with you know about 20 yards from me. And when she went into the cattails, super freak started chasing her through. You could hear him splashing through the swamp, chasing chasing her around, and she ran right up underneath my tree. The the first buck, the 148. Came running down, also, which I you know I, I was like, "Here's deer running." They're they're they were behind me, you know. I, I had to turn all the way around the tree, and I, of course, you know, I did. I, I was in uh, you know sticking, standing sticks, so you know I, I didn't have really any shooting lanes cut right. there, and I just just by sheer luck, the buck that stopped, the doe was on one side of the tree, and the buck that stopped 
eight to ten yards below me was super free. So I put one right through him, and he bounded off about, I don't know, 60, 70 yards, and he bedded down, and, you know, I was shooting a lighted knock, and it looked like when he when he took off, it looked like uh, it might have been too far back. Mm-hmm. So when he bedded down, and it started getting dark, and he bedded down in some goldenrod, and I'm sitting up in the stand. I got to go to work, and I'm <laughs> I, and it looks like when the goldenrod's swaying back and forth, and it looks to me like, like uh, you know, he's moving. Mm-hmm. So I'm all freaked out. So I call my boss. I get someone. I'm the supervisor, so I had to get someone to replace me that night. And I sat <laughs> that stand for five hours and stared at that knock. And I kept swearing it was moving. Well, the whole time the buck was dead. So then I call, I climbed down at like nine thirty. I do the I do the super stealth out of there, you know, back up the creek. I get to the truck. I come back the next morning with one of my good friends, Ryan, and we go down there. And I climb back up in the tree and I look out and I see the knock still sitting there. And I, Ryan, you know, I texted him. I'm like, he's down there by the hemlock, you know. And he goes over and he's like, oh yeah, it's deader than the doornail. But what, what really makes the story cool, other than I spent three years thinking about this deer and finally killed him was, uh, we get back up to the truck and, um, by the road and this guy comes flying down the road in the big Duramax, you know, ah, he stops, you know, we're backed up and he gets out and he's like, you son of a, you know, you got him. And I'm just like, yeah. And he's like, can I take a picture of him? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you see that cell tower? And he points and I'm talking, it's, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. okay, I'm on the Ohio PA border at this spot. Okay, it's the cell tower is like three miles away. He's like, three days ago he was over there with seven does in the field right in front of my house. He said, down here by the lake, I seen him, you know, a uh, couple miles down the road, like uh, a week ago. You know, he's like, this buck's getting around, you know, and it's just, and that explains a lot why I would see the buck. He'd be around the spot I was hunting for a day or two. Then you don't see him for seven days, ten days. Then he's back, you know. So, right. and it just happened, you know. Just, I don't know. It just I just thought it was pretty cool to to realize that he was ranging so much in that area. Right. That's crazy, man, dude. That's an awesome story. So you said he had a double drop. Was it a double drop time? But he lost one. He he had two. He had two drop times coming off of his left beam. One went down in front of his eye. They were both about eight inches. One went down mm. in front of his left eye, and the other one da- went down in the back of his left eye. And wow. they came down, and, and he broke the one off sometime after Velvet. But, yeah, he, he had, you know, he was just one of those bucks that you dream about shooting with a bow. You know, That's awesome. five-and-a-half-year-old buck around here is, yeah. even northeast Ohio, is not common. Right. What a, Did you get that guy measured? Um, I, I don't really enter my deer in record books, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, he, he's in the one fifties easily, you right. know, somewhere nice. in that range. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's dude, that's a killer. That's a killer story. It's what makes it even cooler is that you chased him for a couple of years, man. So you had some history with him, which was, which was rad. And I particularly like the, the part where you sat in, in the tree stand and watched a dead deer for five hours. That, <laughs> that was awesome. That's yeah. the second time I've done that. So, you know, <laughs> you know, fool me once, shame me, you know, yeah. shame on you or whatever. But yeah, I've yeah. done it twice now. So yeah. nice. I'm just a little paranoid when it comes to the climbing down, you know? Oh, yeah. I hear that. But Hey man, I'll be sensitive to your time and let you get back to your family. I, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, for anyone out there that's listening, if they want to follow, uh, follow you, uh, on, on Facebook or anything like that, is there, you know, you have a Facebook account, right? Is there anything on Instagram? Do you do Instagram? <laughs> No, I have an account, but I just haven't gotten into it yet. I've been planning on uh, and getting into that and, and 
filming some scouting missions and stuff like that and doing a little bit of that. But I keep it kind of low-key. I'm on Facebook at Mike Perry, but you know, and, I, and I do friend people when it comes to hunting, and, and they ask me questions, and I, I answer them and stuff like that. But it's just, you know, I also got to kind of – I don't you – know, you've probably noticed I don't, I don't lay a lot of stuff out there. I'm not yeah. putting a lot of trail camera pictures and because I've been, you know, had people follow me around over the years. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got to yeah. kind of watch – you know, you can't give everything away. Yeah, so. yeah, totally, totally get it, man. So everyone out there listening, if you want to give Mike a follow, follow him on Facebook. You'll see some scouting videos, and as you mentioned, he's always a good dude to answer questions. And uh, John and I appreciate you coming on the show and and, and sharing some time with us. And uh, good luck to you here the rest the rest of the season. And uh, we'll make sure we stay in touch over the course of next season and try to get you back on and see how your season went next year. And uh, and we'll uh, touch base during football season probably too. Okay, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and uh, it was an honor to be on the show. I appreciate it. All right, brother. I appreciate you. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. It is time to shut this thing down. We'd like to thank Mike for joining us, and we'd like to thank all of you for listening. Loosening. Listening. Also, if you haven't yet, if it's not too much to ask, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and also subscribe to the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, we'd be super appreciative if you would be able to do that. As a quick reminder, I'll be at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, February 3rd and 4th at the Exodus Outdoor Gear booth. So be sure to stop by, say hey, and say what's up. Love to talk to any of you about your deer season and see how your season has gone this year and just kind of catch up and meet as many of you as I possibly can. And with that, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Tecamani Seed, and Glacier Coolers. And until next time, we'll see y'all. I could show you through the door. I ain't welcome anymore. And long time coming if it's all. It takes a special knowing to call a phone. Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers. But I... All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.